Father, we thank you that you are the God who leads us. You are the God who loves us and has good plans for us. And God, we just acknowledge right at the start that we don't always follow your plans, and we're sorry for that. But help us, God, to learn from you and to trust in you even more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So like I said, over the next month or so, we're going to take a look at the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. And, and what pops into your mind right away when you think of Jonah? You might be like these kids and, and think about the whale. And, and certainly, um, the whale is a, it's a part of that story. But for some people, the, the whale is such an important part of that story that they just can't get past it. And I've even heard some people talk about the whale and say something like this. You know, I just can't believe that something like that would happen. And, and as such, I can't even really believe in the book of Jonah. And I've even heard some people go so far as to say that they have a hard time believing in the Bible in general because of this story about a man being swallowed by a whale. Now, I actually think that this is just a really small part of the book of Jonah. In fact, the, the great fish, as it's called, is only mentioned three times in, in three verses in this book. So, um, but I do understand that it's, it's kind of one of the significant parts. And I just want to, before I jump into the book of Jonah, I just want to ask a question about the great fish. And, and by the way, I'm calling it a great fish because in Hebrew, they, they maybe didn't have a word for whale, so they just used the word, the word fish and great and combined together. So like I said, it could be a sea creature, it could be a whale, it could be something else. But uh, let me ask you a question about that. Do you believe that if God wanted to, that he could create a sea creature that could swallow and keep alive a human being for three days and then spit it out on dry land? The, the God, if we believe in a God who created the universe, huge things like galaxies, and small, teeny things like cells and DNA and things like that, do we believe that God could create such an animal that could do such a thing? I, I think that, I, I mean, seeing many of you shake your heads, yes, that's, I think that's the right answer. To say no, I think, would just be to discredit God in general, and I don't think we have any good reason for doing that. So to me, you know, some people look at the book of Jonah and they look at it as a parable. They say, well, you know, maybe it was just a story. Maybe, maybe it was just about a prophet who had a hard time obeying God and they made up this story about him. But I don't look at it that way. Uh, and I have, I have lots of reasons for that. One of them is that Jesus talked about Jonah in the New Testament. He talked about this sign of Jonah. He even talked about how just as Jonah was in the, the heart of the, the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. So I think that the proper way to look at the book of Jonah is to read it as a historical record of what actually happened. So that's the way we're going to look at it. And again, behind it all is the God who is able to do such things. In fact, what I would say is that the, the part of this book where Jonah gets swallowed by the fish is at best the second greatest miracle in the book. There, I think there's an even bigger miracle in this book that has to do with the heart's of the wicked people of Nineveh. Uh, and we'll see that as we go on today. So anyways, we're going to take a look at the book of Jonah. It's a really short book of the Bible. It's only 48 verses long. So I encourage you over the next month to read it and reread it. In fact, I'd encourage you to read through it every week. One thing you might want to do is on Saturday, or maybe Saturday night, or maybe Sunday morning if you get up early, just read through the whole thing. And each time you read through it, look for something new, or, or look for something that hadn't struck you before. And then overall, as you're reading through the book of Jonah, as you're meditating on it this month, I want you to come up with a, a key verse, 
want you to come up with your own way of describing the story. And I'll, I'll tell you my key verse in a little bit. But I love the book of Jonah. I would say easily it is one of my favorite books of the Old Testament. Now why do I say that? I say it because I feel like I see, we see our story in it. If we, if we take the picture out and don't just look at the fish part of the story, but we look at the whole story, I think what we'll see is this, this wonderful picture of God's love and this wonderful picture of how we fit in as well. One theologian I read this week said the book of Jonah is like a snapshot of how God interacts with the world and with us. So in reading this, we, we learn a, a lot of really great things about God and our relationship with him. So today we're just going to do an overview of the book. And to give a little structure to my sermon, we're going to look at the three main characters of the book. And we're going to do that by looking at just a few of the verses. I want to start out by reading the first three verses in chapter 1. Jonah 1, 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So the first main character in this book is, not surprisingly, Jonah named after him. Now, Jonah, son of Amittai, is mentioned in another verse in the Bible. In 2 Kings 14.25, he is mentioned as a prophet there. So he is one to whom the, the word of the Lord came, at, apparently at other times as well. And he's put there in the reign of King Jeroboam II of Israel. So we can actually historically date this story of Jonah then to the mid-700s B.C. And that's important because we see Assyria at that time. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. We see... Assyria growing in power. They're becoming, uh, eventually, they would be the world's superpower. And in the mid-700s B.C., that power is really growing. So, um, uh, Nineveh and Assyria were becoming an enemy of God's people. So it's interesting that in verse 1, when it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And the word of the Lord was that he should preach to this nation, to this city, that is an arch enemy of Israel. Now we know from reading the rest of the book that Jonah didn't particularly like those people to whom he was sent. And I'll explain more of that in my next point, but for now all that we need to know is simply that, that Jonah disagreed with how the people of Nineveh, Nineveh should be treated. God had a plan. He wanted to send his word to them. And isn't that amazing? We'll talk more about that later. But God wanted to send his word to these people. And Jonah kind of looked at that, that idea of giving God's word to these people and thought, I don't really want to do that. So Jonah fled. He tried to run away. And it, isn't it kind of a ridiculous thought to run away from God? I mean, we know, and I, I kind of think Jonah knew as well. I think that's why Jonah tried to go so far is because he probably knew he couldn't really run away from the Lord, but he tried as hard as he could. But verses like Psalm 139.7 says, Where can I flee from your presence? The psalm goes on to answer the question by saying, There's nowhere, not to the depths, not up to the heavens, not even to the far side of the sea. And it's that last one that Jonah tried to do. He tried to go to the far side of the sea. We don't know exactly where Tarshish is, um, but we know pretty well that it was really, really far west. 
So Nineveh was northeast of Jerusalem, and Tarshish was really far west. So Jonah basically got to the port. He said, what boat is going the farthest away from Nineveh? And he got on that one and tried to run away from God. So like I said in my children's sermon here, God said go, and Jonah said no. He did not want to do what God asked him to do. And if you've ever read the book of Jonah, you know that his rebellion doesn't go really well for him. First he gets on this ship that's in the middle of this violent storm, it says. And then the people basically come after him and said, what have you done? He's fleeing from the Lord. He gets thrown overboard. And that's not it, because then he gets swallowed up by this big fish. And then he gets vomited out, and that part doesn't sound very exciting to me. Well, exciting, yes. Clean, no. But uh, let me just stop here and ask you a question. Have you ever injured yourself by going your own way? Um, I have. I will be one of the first to admit that. I have injured myself by going my own way. Uh, Think about all the times in our lives where God has wanted us to go in a certain direction and we have either ignored him or we have intentionally chosen a different path. How does it go for us when we do that? It it doesn't go well for us. I I think we all know that. I hope we all know that. But I am convinced now that the best place to be is in the center of God's will. And I hope that you're convinced with me on those same lines. I'm not saying that I always live there right now because I think we all still mess up. We all at times go our own way. But I hope you can agree with me. The best place to be is in the center of God's will. And I think we see that pretty clearly in the Jonah story. His life was not going well as he was running away from the Lord. Um... Jonah eventually, though, did get to Nineveh. That's where God asked him to be, and he preached there. But even then, he had some attitude issues. And that brings me to an interesting question. Is Jonah a good example or a bad example? I think a lot of people would be quick to say Jonah is a bad example. And in my children's sermon, you heard me talk about how Jonah is a bad example. And certainly, at times, he was a bad example because God gave him a message, something to do, and he specifically did the opposite of what God told him to do. And that's never a good idea. So Jonah is a bad example. But I also think that Jonah can serve as a, as a good example for us in some ways. Uh, and So let's give Jonah another look. And first of all, let's look at this idea that Jonah was not by any means the only person in the Bible or in human history to disagree with God. And again, uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever disagreed with God? When you've heard from him what he wants for you, have you ever disagreed? I I think we've all been there at times. God's ways are not our ways. And sometimes when we hear God's ways, we kind of think, I don't know if I like that way. Okay, so we'll let Jonah off the hook maybe just a little bit for that one. Uh, And then second, Jonah did do eventually what God asked him to do. He did go and preach to Nineveh. And yes, like I said, he had some attitude issues in chapter 4. But here's a really fascinating question. I remember just kind of being stopped in my tracks when I heard this one. Who wrote the book of Jonah? Or, or more importantly, how do we know what happened inside the belly of the great fish? How do we know the specific details of Jonah's conversation with God in chapter 4 when it was only the two of them talking? How do we know those things? Any guesses? My, my opinion, and, and it is just an opinion, I'll be clear on that, but it's an educated opinion. My opinion is that Jonah learned his lesson 
and ended up telling this story because it's such a wonderful story about God's love for us. And I, I, I was just kind of picturing it this way. You know, Jonah got spit out of the, the big fish and he, he kind of, fine, I'll go to Nineveh and he gives this really short message in Nineveh and then he goes and watches the city burn or at least that's what he was hoping would happen. And then he has this angry conversation with God and I kind of picture him then walking back to Jerusalem and thinking about all of this and thinking about the character of God and realizing, wow, God really cares about people. I, I kind of think that's what happened. I think, I think that's really one of the only explanations as to why we know what happened so, so detailed in this story. So in some senses, I think that maybe Jonah has a, a little bit of redemption there. Not that we can redeem ourselves. I don't like that phrase, redeem yourself. We can't do it. Only God can do that. But uh, I think what we see is a little bit of repentance from Jonah in telling this story. So this is a story about how God changes hearts. And if that's what the story is about, then there's hope for us that God can change our hearts too. But for now, let's go to our second main character. And the second main character is the Ninevites. As I said, Nineveh was a major city, eventually became the capital city of Assyria. And Assyria became Israel's arch enemy, gaining power in the mid-700s B.C. And in 722 B.C., the Assyrians came and conquered the northern tribes of Israel and carried them off into captivity. The exile of the northern tribes of Israel, a really sad thing in the, in the nation of Israel. And Assyria was not one of the nicer invading armies. Uh, there were some that maybe had a little bit of compassion for the people. Not this one. In fact, they prided themselves on their torture and on their brutality. I read some of the stuff they did this week. If you want to look on it, look it up on your own, you can. I'm not going to tell what they did here because it was, it was gruesome. It was awful. Things that they did even to women and children. Uh, things that should not be done. So this, this was a wicked, wicked city that Jonah was asked to preach to. In fact, God himself was displeased with what went on there. The book of Nahum in the Bible, that short little book, I think it's three chapters long, written entirely against Assyria and Nineveh. In it, God calls Nineveh a city of blood and says to it, I am against you. In Zephaniah 2.13, it says that God will destroy Assyria and leave Nineveh utterly desolate. And we read in Jonah 1.2 that the wickedness of Nineveh has come up before God. So God had it in mind to send a prophet to Nineveh to tell the people, hey, you're wicked and I've seen it. Now it's almost impossible for us to know what it would have felt like for Jonah to get that job assigned to him. I mean, you try to put yourself in Jonah's shoes and we can't really do it. We don't know what it would have been like for Jonah to be given the task to preach to his arch enemy. And the closest thing I could think of was you know, comparing it to Adolf Hitler or even to, to ask the question, um, what if Adolf Hitler repented? So let's think about that. This guy who, by many estimates, killed 11 million people in his day. What if at the end of his life, he had this moment where he went before God and said, God, I'm sorry for what I did. Would you forgive me? Should God forgive him? Well, and what if it was your job to go and talk to Adolf Hitler and, and proclaim to him the wonderful news of forgiveness? I, I imagine it might be a difficult thing for some people to do, to look, to look evil in the face and to talk to them about forgiveness. So perhaps we can understand a little bit from looking at it from that perspective why Jonah didn't want to go. Because the people were wicked there. 
But think about that. How should God respond to, to enemies? Now for Jonah there was no question, but how should God respond? God wanted the people of Nineveh to repent. Jonah didn't want them to have that opportunity, but God wanted them to repent. And when Jonah finally got to Nineveh, he had a, a very short message. In 3.4 he says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Overturned is the key word in this book. And I think what Jonah was hoping would happen was that the city was going to be destroyed. And the word overturned can mean that. It can mean destroyed. But the word has another meaning. And it's that other meaning that actually happened in Nineveh. The word overturned can also mean something like turned upside down. And the city of Nineveh was turned upside down as the people there repented. And like I said, I think that's the greatest miracle in the book of Jonah. That we see this wicked, wicked city. A city that had been doing terrible, awful things. They hear a very short message from the Lord and they respond with deep humility and repentance. It's, it's really a wonderful deal. And I love this part of the story. Uh, the repentance is so astounding that even Jesus used it as a positive example of repentance in Matthew 12. And one theologian I read this week said, if Nineveh can repent, anyone can. And that's good news, right? So let me talk to you again. How are you doing at repenting? Anybody here ever sinned lately? I'll, I'll be the first one. I think I got my hand up first there. Okay, I have. How are you doing at repenting? God loves it when we repent. God loves to bring his message to us so that it comes, sinks down into our hearts and we recognize that there are things that we have been doing that we should not be doing. There are other things that we've been ignoring and have not been doing, things that we should be doing. And God loves it when we come to him and say, I'm sorry, God, I've been going my own way. So one of the key themes of the book of Nineveh is, uh, the book of Nineveh, the book of Jonah, is Repentance. So do you hate your sin? Are you willing at a moment's notice to turn away from it? It's interesting, you know, to, to watch people sin and then to watch conviction come or not come. And, and it just makes me think, I hope I'm really fast at turning away from it when I know I've done something wrong. I hope I turn away quickly. God loves to forgive. And on that note, let's look at the third main character, which is, perhaps not surprisingly, the Lord. The very first thing we see in Jonah is that God had a message. It says the word of the Lord came to Jonah. God wanted this message to go even to the wicked people of Nineveh. So God sent a prophet, and unfortunately this prophet didn't want to go. He didn't want the job. And because of Jonah's disobedience, his life was made really, really difficult for a time. And remember he got on the ship, and there was this terrible storm, and there were these seasoned sailors and they thought that they were going to die. They were trying their hardest to get out of the storm, to get to shore. They couldn't do it. They thought they were going to die. And eventually they pick up Jonah and throw him overboard. Now what usually happens to a person in the middle of a violent storm when they're thrown overboard? They usually die, right? But not this time. Why not? Because God had compassion on Jonah. Before Jonah ever repented of his disobedience, 
He was still fleeing, and he just said, throw me overboard. God rescued him. He did it by sending this great fish. It was the compassion of God. And while Jonah was in the belly of that great fish, God listened to his prayer. So we have a wicked, disobedient person, and God rescues him and hears his prayer. And in that prayer, Jonah praised God for his salvation. One of the recurring themes of the book of Jonah is that God saves. He saved Jonah. He saved the other sailors on the boat. He saved the wicked people of Nineveh. That's who God is. He is the God who saves. He is the God who takes the first step to save, by the way, too. And you notice in this story that it wasn't like people were just seeking after God and then he finally said, okay, fine, I'll, I'll rescue you. And really, that's our story as well. I think that there's a certain way that we can tell our story a little, a little disingenuous, as if to say that I really wanted to know God, so I looked as hard as I could. Do you know what really happened for every one of us who came to know God? He came looking for us. God is the first actor in this story. He is the one who shows grace and love and compassion. Our faith is simply a response to what God has done for us. So we see this compassion of God. We see the grace of God. And in fact, that's what it is that caused Jonah to run away. In my mind, I haven't fully explained to you yet why Jonah ran away. Part of it is because he didn't like the Ninevites. He didn't want to go there. But there's a bigger part of it. And to explain it to you, I want to read for you verse 4-2, which I think is the main verse in this book. Jonah's talking to God. He says, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah knew that God might forgive the people there. That's why he ran away. Jonah didn't want them to repent. But God did. You see, God looked at these wicked, wicked people in Nineveh and he had grace and compassion on them. And I want to read for you maybe the next key verse, 4.11, the last verse of the book. The Lord says, But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? What do you think? Should God be concerned about wicked people who are going their own way? Should God be concerned about us? Yes. Praise the Lord. He has grace and compassion for people who are caught in their sins. That's who our God is. He is the God who wants to bring his word to people who are lost and dead in sin. And he wants to rescue them. That's who our wonderful God is. So the book of Jonah is about the God who loves people, even disobedient and wicked people, so much that he goes to great lengths to bring them to himself. So that's the answer to the question. What's the book of Jonah about? It's not just about some guy getting swallowed by a great fish. The book of Jonah is about a God who loves people so much, even disobedient and wicked people, that he goes to great lengths to bring them to himself. Jonah was disobedient. God rescued him. The people of Nineveh were wicked. God gave them a chance to repent. This is who God is. But now I want to turn the tables a little bit because the book of Jonah isn't just about Jonah and the Ninevites. It's about us too. 
In Hebrews 4.12, it says the word of God is living and active. So think about that. We're reading a book about Jonah, about stuff that happened 2,700 years ago, but it's for us, too. It's living and active, and I think that we see ourselves in this story. Remember earlier I said Jonah is a snapshot of how God interacts with the world and with us? Well, here's how. Every one of us, like Jonah, at times has chosen our own path and gone away from God. Every one of us, like the Ninevites, were wicked sinners. In the book of Romans in the New Testament, it says that we were God's enemies. So how should God respond to wicked enemies? Well, let's look, let's look at that from Jonah's perspective for a little bit here. Uh, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want the people of Nineveh to be able to repent. Um, Jonah knew that he was supposed to go there, and it's funny how the only person in this book who has a hard time with God's message is the prophet. And think about that. We're, we kind of think of ourselves as the Jonah person, if anybody, in this. You know, what, what would I do if God told me to do this? And, Jonah had a hard time listening to God. You ever had a hard time listening to God? You ever heard what God wanted you to do and said, you know what, God, I think I'm going to go this way instead? And usually we don't say it like that. Usually we just think, oh, I'd like to go this way, so I'm going to go this way. And it's those times when we choose our own path instead of submitting to God that we get ourselves in trouble. Sometimes we run away from God and maybe some of you are there right now. I certainly don't want to see any hands raised right now, but I just want to ask, is anybody running away from God right now? Or maybe it's not that you're running away from God, maybe you're just kind of straying a little bit. Maybe you say it this way, that I'd like to be close to God, but you know what, some of the decisions that I've been making in my life lately have actually been pulling me further away from God. I've heard, I mean, so often our human experience is kind of like a roller coaster of ups and downs. And, and maybe you're in one of those downs right now where you feel like you're getting further away from God. Maybe it's not that you've chosen to do it, but maybe it's just your actions that have put you there. We all too often run away from God. And the reason is because we think we have better plans than God does. So what should we do? Well, we should respond with faith. And like I said in the children's message, faith means not only believing what God says, but living according to what God says. So if you're running away from God, I just urge you to stop and listen to God. Put yourself in a place where you hear from Him in His Word, where you hear what He wants for you, and do it. Our best life is in the center of God's will. And we learn God's will, very fortunately, in the Bible. So one of the great ways, and I just want to echo what Brian said last Sunday for a little bit here, one of the great ways to know God's will is to get immersed in the Bible. Read from it daily. It was a great New Year's commitment you made. And Brian, we should check out how are you doing? Day four? Are you uh, <laughs> doing all right? Okay, good. good. Didn't mean to put you on the spot, but you know, when you're a preacher, you're held to a higher... You know, so I've heard. Um, but one of the reasons that we should be getting to know God's word is because we get to learn who he is in there and again I, I've been my, my soul has been refreshed as I've been learning about who God is in the book of Jonah and it makes me want to walk with that God 
to listen to him, to surrender to him. You see, God has always been gracious and compassionate. It's one of the refrains of the Old Testament. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. It's repeated many times in the Old Testament. And then think about God's grace and compassion and think about the cross. Think about what Jesus did for us at the cross to show us grace and compassion. Do you remember what the name Jesus means? Anybody remember that? We said it at the Christmas Eve service. Somebody besides Josiah. <laughs> the, the name Jesus means the Lord saves. That's what it means. In the book of Jonah, we see the Lord rescuing people. In the cross, we see the Lord saving us. We were people who had gone our own way. We had offended God, and our sin earned for us a death penalty. Jesus took our sin upon himself and died for us that we might be rescued. It is God's grace and compassion. We are to respond in faith to give our lives to Jesus. He gave his life for us. We are to give our lives to him, to follow him, to walk with him the rest of our days. Jesus said there would be a sign of Jonah given to the people. It's pretty cool, actually. This, I mean, again, some people would want to throw Jonah out of the Bible. I had one person say to me, if, if the book of Jonah weren't in the Bible, I think more people would believe it. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, these people are looking for a sign, I'll give them a sign, the sign of Jonah. And I think that, that that little phrase is packed with meaning. I don't know all that it means, but I know a couple of things it means. The sign of Jonah, for one, is that the good news of God's grace and compassion goes to wicked people. That's what Jesus came to do. To people living in darkness, he brought the light. And then second, like I mentioned earlier, the sign of Jonah is that just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so... Jesus was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. There's a pretty big difference, though, between what Jesus did and what Jonah did. Jonah didn't die there. Jesus did. Also, I, I was thinking about this. The other differences. Jonah didn't go willingly. I mean, yes, I guess he kind of willingly let himself be thrown, but he didn't willingly go into the great fish. Jesus willingly went to the cross for us. Jonah didn't really have compassion as he brought the message to Nineveh. Jesus did. It's pretty amazing as we see the lengths that God goes to to save people. God doesn't want us to die in our sins. So wherever you're coming from today, whether you're walking really closely with God or maybe you've been straying a little bit, maybe you've been running away from God, I want you to know that God's grace and compassion is for you to walk with him. That's what he wants for us. He sent Jesus to hammer that point home. Okay, now there's one more thing that I want to talk about in regard to the book of Jonah regarding us. The, the first thing that I wanted to say is that if you've been running from God, please know that he wants you back, okay? However far it is that you run, Tarshish was as far away as you could go. If you're starting in Jerusalem... You know, you're looking at, you're at the airport and you're looking at all the places you can go. Tarshish was as far as you could go. That's where Jonah tried to go. Wherever it is that you have tried to go, you can come back to God. But then the second thing is we're, we're, we're turning the tables and we're looking at us is that we have a message to bring. Remember, God goes to great lengths to bring people to himself. How does he do that? How does God bring people to himself? 
Well, in the New Testament, Romans 10 tells us some things. In verses 14 and 15, it says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent, as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet. I don't have beautiful feet. I've been told that by other people. That uh, if I bring the gospel message to people, my feet can be redeemed. Uh, so can you. Uh, two verses later in Romans, it says, faith comes from hearing the message. So God wants people to have faith in him, right? That's kind of one of the main things about the Bible. God wants people to have faith in him. It says faith comes from hearing the message. Meaning that we are to be people who bring the message to other people. What's your attitude towards people who don't yet know Jesus? Jonah had a lousy attitude towards the people of Nineveh because they were wicked. Well, maybe we carry around some of that same attitude. We see the lost people around us and it may be easy for us to point out their sins, but do you love them? If we see somebody wicked around us, should we withhold the gospel message from them? No way. Jesus came to save the lost, to seek and to save the lost. We're supposed to become more like Christ in this life. That's God's goal for us, to become more like Christ. So we should seek and save the lost. And if they look wicked, what we should do is remember that they need the gospel. We know that the gospel is good news for us. We're so thankful that Jesus came for us. Well, if it's good news for you, then it's good news for those around you also. Over the course of the next month, we're going to see God's heart in bringing the message of his grace and compassion to lost people. We'll see it to Jonah, who is you know, an Israelite and a prophet, and we'll see God's grace and compassion for wicked lost people of Nineveh. During this month-long study, I want all of us to join in this process of sharing God's grace and compassion with people. So I have a challenge for each one of you. It's a bit of a difficult challenge, and some of you may feel like you want to run away from it. But I have a challenge for you. Over the next month, I want you to share the gospel with someone or invite someone to come to church with you. That's my challenge for all of you out there over the next month as we're going to hear about how God brings people to himself. And again, think about the very first part of the book of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. He was supposed to go to the wicked people and share with them the message of God's grace and compassion. That's what I want us to do over the course of the next month. Share the gospel with someone. Invite somebody to come to church with you. That's, that's my challenge. And I'm not talking about your Christian neighbor who leads a Bible study at a different church. I'm talking about people who may not yet know Jesus. People who haven't darkened the door of a church for a long time. Let's go to them and let them know that God loves them. Let's show God's love to them. Let's tell them the gospel message, which is a message of love. And if I've understood the book of Jonah rightly, it's really not up to you to change their hearts. And it's amazing to me how bad Jonah's message was. I mean, 40 more days and this city's going to burn is basically what he was trying to tell them. Um, I'd suggest that you do something with more compassion as you talk to people. Um, I hope Fergus Falls isn't going to burn in 40 days. But 
God is clearly the one who gets the credit for the change of heart that goes on in this book. But at the same time, God clearly wanted Jonah to go and give the message. And I think that's where we stand. God's going to be the one who changes hearts, but he wants us to go to people with the message. It's the message of Jesus, too. His, his last words in the book of Matthew, he was talking to his disciples, and he said, go and make disciples. So to the people who were already following, he said, go and help other people follow. And he also said, teach them to obey everything I have commanded, which means that, he was, that they were to command them to, with the great commandment, the Great Commission, to go and make disciples. So if we follow the chain all the way down through the years, that means that we are now the followers of Christ, and it's our commission to go and make disciples. That's why at Cornerstone Church, our mission statement here is a passion to know Christ, commissioned to make him known. I, I think that God wants us to join in this process of helping other people become followers of Christ. And that's what I want to challenge you to do over the next month. Share the gospel with someone. Invite someone to come to church with you. Now, I'm not saying that I expect that if you do that, that we're all going to be able to bring you know, five extra people to church with us. But think of it this way. If all of us are on board with this, if all of us are trusting God, all of us are praying, God might use that to change hearts of people over the next month. And wouldn't it be great if we could, a month from now, we could look back and, and share the stories of what God has done? Anybody want to be a part of what God is doing in this world? I sure do. Let's join with God. And one quick tip on that, like I, I often say when I'm talking about sharing the good news, the first step is prayer. Actually, what I like to say is the first 17 steps is prayer. So what I want you to do as you leave here today, I want you to think about people that you can be praying for. I want you to tell God, I'm here for your service, God. I'm not going to run away to Tarshish. God, I am here. If you want to use me to share your gospel message with someone, I'm here. God, I pray that you would open doors. And when you open the door, I pray that you would also strengthen me to make the most of every opportunity. Imagine if every one of us had that heart attitude towards God. Imagine what God could do over the next month. So I want to urge you to join with me in this. To join with God, more importantly. Let's show God's love and grace and compassion to people who need to hear of it. Let's offer ourselves to God. Let's trust that he still is at work to bring people to himself. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are the God who has love and compassion, that we know that we have gone astray many times, but you love us, you forgive us, we praise you. We also know that your message, your gospel message, is for people who have not yet come to Jesus too, that you want them to come to you. So God, I pray that we would join with you in that, that we, we come before you right now, God, and we say to ourselves, we say to you, here am I, use me. God, we pray that you would open doors for the gospel and that we would make the most of every opportunity. God, we pray that we would remember that this is your work and that we join with you in it. So God, we ask you, even over the course of this next month, that you would draw people to yourself 
And God, we're just giving ourselves to you in, in your service, if you want to use us to do that. But again, God, we praise you for your compassion because we know that we are people who are in need of it. We are people who have offended you and gone our own way. God, I pray that we would, for the rest of our lives, follow you and worship you and proclaim your message. You are worthy, God, of all that we could do for you. Please strengthen us to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.